and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 440? Oh yeah, it is. Nice round numbers. I don't know why we uh, our minds automatically think those are significant, but I was like, oh, 440. It's just a random number. <laughs> um, we are uh, we're talking about uh, Justice League Last Ride number two because this thing continues to be lantern heavy. Um, so uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see, I, 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 want, I wanted to do the uh, creative team first, but so no, I think it's another one of those where the creative team is listed at the end. So I guess we'll just, yes, just dive yes. right into it. Yeah, the issue t- the issue title is at the end, so that's where the credits are. I, okay. I'm not a fan of that, generally speaking, unless it's super significant. But yep, that's what happens in this issue. Yep. All right, so we get a little bit of backstory in this one. Uh, we get kind of uh, a portion of what happened to the team uh, on uh, Apocalypse up when they went up against Darkseid. Uh, where John uh, John Jones, uh, aka Martian Manhunter, uh, died. So uh, we open up on Apocalypse and Wonder Woman is taking on the Furies as well as uh, a horde of others um, on Apocalypse with Themyscarians. uh, And she's in her golden battlesuit armor, uh, which we have seen before, pretty notably somewhere. Kingdom come. Uh, And uh, she is she gets attacked by Granny Goodness, uh, Granny gets her head sliced off by Diana. Uh, Diana is a little wounded. She's in contact with Cyborg, who is with Raven, and they are uh, trying to evacuate the planet in a way uh, or evacuate specific cities uh, in in certain zones. Uh, Over in uh, Gotham, Nightwing, Batgirl, and Robin are helping with an evacuation underground um, on the off chance that it might help. Aquaman is checking into one of the points where some of these bombs are supposed to uh, show up. Uh, A boom tube opens up and drops in the middle of the ocean, and then nobody can get a reading for for, uh, Arthur. So it is believed that he is dead. Um, Then uh, inside of Darkseid's control center, Batman and Martian Manhunter are taking on a couple of, uh, why did I want to call them demons? Uh, Parademons, that's why. Um, And uh, everything's not looking good in terms of uh, shutting down boom tubes and everything. Um, But they get the sense that 
some other bigger threat is coming. The uh, Batman surmises it could be Darkseid. Uh, Martian Manhunter says it shouldn't be because Hal and Clark were tracking him. Uh, so Batman checks in on comms with Superman, who is over on Oa. And uh, Superman is helping the Green Lantern Corps fight off uh, Darkseid and uh, Darkseid's invaders. Uh, they're trying to basically prevent the Parademons and others of Darkseid's agents from getting to the central power battery, because um, if he gets to the central power battery, he could become unstoppable. Um, Hal is protecting one of the guardians who says that his brothers and sisters are already hidden off planet and already safe. Uh, that's when a boom tube opens up on Oa and dark side steps through with two dead bodies of guardians clutched in his hands because he had to run some errands and he's apologizing for his lateness. So clearly he has gotten to the hiding place of the guardians and taken them out. Um, Meanwhile, in the current timeline, Batman and flash are in the cockpit flying towards uh, apocalypse where they're planning to stash Lobo flash goes back to check on Lobo uh, and wonder woman who is guarding him. He makes a, some comments that basically end up saying Batman's the only smarter, smart one among you guys. And if you think Apocalypse isn't a threat, you're crazy. In the midst of all this, on their way to Apocalypse, uh, the ship is being escorted by John Stewart and uh, Kal-El. So they uh, are actually routing their way to Apocalypse and how uh, cleverly so as not to be detected. They're kind of skirting the edges of black holes, which artistically looks kind of cool. In this one panel, you can see sort of the light and everything being uh, pulled off panel uh, into the black hole, because scientifically speaking, as we all know, uh, black hole sucks in everything, including light. Um, But they pick up a a signal as well as a uh, Superman spots, a ship also being sucked into the black hole. Superman initially tries to stop it himself. He can't do it, but that's okay because Hal Jordan in his armor is there. And of course, John is helping him out as well with their energy constructs to uh, push it away from the black hole event horizon. Uh, Hal comes on and says, I would recommend navigating to a certain system for repair. The ship's crew says it's good to see green lanterns patrolling universe again. Um, John says to Hal as they're uh, continue the escort to apocalypse that so much for traveling incognito. It's a split second. It was a split second decision that had to be made. They come in uh, and just as uh, Lobo says, um, uh, or sorry, uh, Batman says that Apocalypse looks mostly dormant, but we still need to be on alert to which Lobo laughs at the idea of Apocalypse being dormant. The story is called Batman's Orders. The writer Chip Zdarsky, Miguel Mendoca is the artist. Uh, Enrica Aaron Agolini is the colorist. Uh, and world designed to the letters. Uh, Derek Robertson and Diego Rodriguez did the cover. Inok Lee did the variant cover, which is uh, an interesting, cool cover, uh, which I wasn't able to find, but I will at some point. It has uh, basically Lobo, Kilowog, uh, John, and Jessica on the cover. Uh, and uh, Katie Kubert and Michael McAllister, the editors. And of course, Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. What do you think? I know we're not big dark side fans over here but still no we're not uh i'm glad we did get a little bit more of the background about what happened i don't know i even though it's not completely uncharacteristic i don't know if i'm a big fan of the uh of the running away little bitchy guardians that portrayal that never thrills me especially when especially when hal's kind of giving the guardian you know justifiably the hard time it's like well you know 
It's like you let apocalypse pretty much run rampant all those years to keep that stupid truce. And it's like, well, we like unless like we had to. You don't know what Dark Side could have done to us, which obviously we kind of have a better idea of that now since he apparently killing guardians in this universe is pretty easy for for Dark Side. Uh, so I'm not sure if I let. I know it's to amp up the threat of Dark Side and to make him look more powerful, but like I maybe if I cared about Dark Side, maybe it would it would resonate more, but. It just makes the guardians and the core look weak. I mean, it also in a way makes you wonder about the whole if the if the guardians if he can kill the guardians that easily then then does he really need the power of the central power battery? I mean, is that really the thing that's going to put him over the top? On some level, that seems like that's like superfluous at that point. Uh, so I did I did like the background. Uh, that part to me actually was a little more interesting than than this trip to apocalypse. I guess it was kind of like. It was necessary filler. So as they were going, you know, it, there's time to need from Earth to go to Apocalypse. So that was a it was a good time to kind of give you some background information about uh, the relationships, what happened with John Jones, and also the idea of uh, some of the inner workings and conflicts that are going on with this Justice League. You get some of that with Diana and Walt and uh, was it Walt? It's Wally, right? Right. This is Wally. I. Uh, Thanks. I think I so, think so. I think so. I don't know though. Like it could it it could be buried given the fact that everybody else seems to be classic JLA. I thought they referenced it. I thought they referenced it at some point. It may not All, be this issue. It might have been. It might have been the first issue. Yeah, it might have been in the first issue. The only thing that I could see that was interesting was that Flash, whoever, whichever Flash, says they've never been to Apocalypse before. That is true. I'm just, yeah, my, I, I, it could be Barry. For some reason, I thought it was Wally. I guess it, let's just assume it's Barry just because Wally still gets treated like a redheaded stepchild, no pun intended. So I, I thought it, I don't, I think I like the first issue better. I know there's not, you know, was it six issues? Is that we, or five? Oh, uh, crap. I don't know. Don't worry about uh, it. It's one yeah. of the two. I think we figured this out last time. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, it is lantern heavy. Eight. Oh, you know, this, this, this is the one that was eight. Yeah. Um, all right. So maybe five or six. My we'll see how it goes. Five or six issues. Somehow, I would suspect will probably w- would have been a better uh, run for this. I think eight might be stretching it. But we'll have to see what happens in the next couple of issues. It's it's not bad. It's lantern centric. That, that's that's kind of cool. Hal is obviously super amped up in this. I I like that. But it's it's entertaining. I I don't think it's there's not much more I can say about it. It's entertaining. It's not it's not horrible. It's not great. It's it's entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with you. I don't like the the uh, turn turntail and run guardians because, you know, and especially in, in Infinite Frontier because in the Infinite Frontier sort of universe because all continuity is supposed to count, right? So, uh, you know, these are guardians who somehow corralled uh, magic, the loose chaotic magic in existence into a meteor. These are guardians who. Uh, you know, forced uh, an an emotion as a power source and contained it and and weaponized it. These are guardians who tapped into the White Lantern uh, energy first uh, as part of their experiments. And these are uh, the oldest beings in the universe, and they have their own power in their own right. Like these, like I I get the you know uh, protecting them because they're sort of like the the originators and if the core dies you know maybe they they're they're the best hope to bring it back and that sort of a thing um but just like it makes sense on the one hand because you protect your valuable asset but at the same time uh, there's got to be a happy middle ground where they don't look like they're helpless um 
you know, the idea of, 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 of how with a ring, regardless of who has the ring or what the ring is capable of, the guardian shouldn't be cowering in fear behind someone with a power ring. <laughs> they should be more powerful sure. than the power ring, <laughs> um, but whatever. So that's, that's out of here. I, I, I do like, I, I, I like this, this sort of stuff we got here. I was going, I, I mean, I, I made the reference that uh, Wonder Woman's uh, armor here looks, you know, is, is kingdom come inspired. It's true, but, at the same time, we've, you know, I, even I have to admit, we've seen that armor a billion other places ever since because of the popularity of that look, including the Wonder Woman 1984 film. So, um, you know, that's not as strong of a reference to Kingdom Come uh, as the other ones uh, in the uh, first issue. Um, but I figured it was worth worth mentioning. And uh, I don't know. I just I thought it was. You know, for for a sort of on the way, you know, uh, driving from point A to point B type issue to sort of set up and flesh out things. This was the best time to do some a portion of the backstory reveal for what happened to cause the league to split apart and the death of John uh, John Jones. And apparently, we also get the death of Arthur Curry as a result of all this. Um, but uh, you know, uh, I thought it, I thought it was well done. The you know the, the black hole thing. You know, you can kind of take it or leave it, but I, I kind of like it for the same reason. I just like the occasional story of the core doing core things, just patrolling the universe, helping people here and there. It's not like we've detected a a war between two planets across multiple sectors uh, and like big cosmic level threats, but more like, you know, ship in distress, uh, you know, send help sort of stuff. I do like seeing the core do that sometimes. Albeit here it's just John and Hal, but it's still I, I do like seeing that. And I like that I like that the league immediately jumps in to help. Um, you know, so that's that's cool too. It's it's I agree with all that. Uh I'm hoping I'm gonna like this when it all when it's all said and done. I'm hoping that it's not gonna be a steady decline. The dark side thing is a problem just because we're getting dark side in this. We're getting dark side in Infinite Frontier. Yeah, we've gotten dark side up to Wazoo even before all that. But I'm trying to judge. I'm, you know, I'm trying to be open minded and keep the story since we really have no idea what the story is and where it's supposed to fit in. That uh, I'm just hoping that it's going to be. I mean, I don't think it's supposed to fit in. It's, it's, no, I know, I know, it's really not supposed to fit in. But I just mean that it is weird having this having this story with. Darkseid be the bad guy at the same time. Another story with Darkseid being, you know, and, and one that is supposed to matter is going on. And it, it just, I'm not, I guess I'm also not a huge fan of like all continuity matters in a sense, but it, but not in the sense that it makes any sense. So it's like, ah, you, t- you tell this story and we'll tell this story and none of it has to make any sense and mesh together. I don't know if I'm really a big fan of that conceptually. And this book seems to potentially be the poster child for that. Yeah. Um, anything else about it? I mean, in terms of uh, writing style and stuff, because I, I do like some uh, like some Chip Zdarsky writing. How do you how do you feel about the 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 characterization, the plot, the the scripting? Because I, Chip Zdarsky, I feel, is one of those writers who, if he's not if he not if he doesn't win, he's probably going to be nominated for 2021 writer uh, in comics medium. He, he's just his name is all over the place this year. I mean, from a from a plotting perspective, I, I mean, I think overall, I don't have any major issues other than again with than how the guardians are portrayed. I don't have a big issue with uh with the way this is going. I think it's I think it's it's 
fairly well written. I think the beats so far, I think the art is shaky at times in this issue. Uh, I agree with you. Some of the faces look yes, weird, especially Superman, especially with the it's okay. Superman when Hal shows up and, and then actually even worse on the next, on the next two pages, when it looks like his face is made out of rubber on that bottom panel on the right hand side, when it's uh, heads up, everyone we're coming in hot. It, yeah. The art it's hit or miss. Cause there's some really good art in here. I mean, Lobo looks is drawn. Well, Batman is drawn. Well, even dark side is drawn. Well, but, Superman in a lot of panels is not so the art the art shakier for me so far than than the writing but I really do need to see where this goes and how how the story fits together before this might be one of those that until we get to maybe like issue six I may not really know what I think think about the story it could be it could be a it could be a story that kind of loses me as we continue on with this gotcha yeah I mean I think it I think it's definitely going to be something uh, fun. I, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed it. This is, this one is obviously not as interesting or revealing uh, in terms of something for you to really grab onto. It obviously gives you some of the backstory of what happened in the league, but it's for the most part, it's a relatively straightforward sort of issue compared to, you know, obviously it's a, a first issue you're getting introduced to new concepts and, and things like that. So I'm not necessarily, it, it's sort of unfair to compare issues uh, in this in a in a given series to the first issue, just as a, a rule of thumb, because it's you know really the only thing you have to go off of in the first place. Um, but you know, I uh, I think I think there's there's plenty of groundwork being laid here. I just I kind of wish that Calhoun would get his stick out of his ass about whatever went on with Batman, but at the same time we don't actually know. So maybe it will be one of the times when it's actually justified about the two being extremely pissed off at one another for whatever reason or another. Uh, next issue uh, is issue three comes out so far. Solicit is uh, July 13th. Apocalypse wants the fiery terror of the multiverse. Now lifeless husk filled with ghosts and dark secrets. Will the planet formerly ruled by dark side help the justice league or destroy it. And this is the one with uh, dark sides image in the stars and the, the league sitting around a campfire, which is all of the members of the league. Uh, who showed up in the in this issue? Hal, uh, uh, Flash. We don't know which Flash. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and John Stewart. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's it's actually a series I'm really enjoying in terms of like just my overall DC stuff. Uh, Green Lantern, especially especially since Tom Rainey took over the art, has sort of diminished for me. I think my number one DC title right now is Nightwing by Tom uh, Tom Taylor. Um, I think that's look, man, I'm, I'm pissed that about the sheer amount of Batman content DC is pumping out. Holy God, guys. I'm not even a Nightwing guy. Like my favorite Rob Robin is, uh, Tim Drake, but like, holy God, the Nightwing book is so good. Uh, but I would say justice league last ride might be my third or fourth favorite of the current DC line of stuff I'm picking up. Interesting. I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes, and I I hope they don't try and fit it into any sort of continuity. I just I hope they let it stand alone as its sort of own thing that's probably taking place in its own corner of the multiverse somewhere, or the omniverse. That's what it's that's what it is now, right? Yes. All right. Anything else to say? No, I think we can put this one to bed. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So story time. Um, as you guys know, uh, I was gone on vacation for a little bit at the end of May. We just had guests and other th- other things to talk about news-wise that are more relevant. So I, de- I determined that it could wait. Uh, we didn't need to talk about all this stuff on the air. 
but I went to the Pacific Northwest. My mom lives uh, in a outside of a town called Washougal, Washington, um, uh, basically on the on the river, the border between uh, Washington State and Oregon. And um, yeah, I had a bunch of, of fun up there. My sister went, my brother-in-law went, of course, my little nephew Dean went. It was a lot of fun. Poor little guy got a, a, a cold, one of his first severe colds. And, uh, you know, he wasn't like sleeping in his own crib or anything because, you know, we're on vacation. So he's sleeping in his playpen. And sometimes I'm sharing a space with him. And man, I could, I'm not even a parent, but I could hear his little struggles for breath. Like he'd get too much congestion in his system. And in the middle of the night, you hear him like kind of snore and then suck in air. And then you're waiting for the exhale and you're like, and he coughs and spits something out. It's just like, man. <laughs> Uh, Uncle Chad is concerned. I don't, I can't imagine how stressed out my pregnant sister is, which by the way, it's been revealed officially. My sister is pregnant with her second one. So, uh, apparently they found out the gender today and we'll, we'll know, we'll be revealed. All will be revealed this weekend, but regardless, had a lot of fun. I, you know, whenever I go somewhere, um, I like to hit up the comic shops and it seemed like because this trip had, so many of us and obviously mom was focused on her her grandbaby we could kind of split up and do our own thing you know there were times you know uh, my my um, family up there as well as my sister and my brother-in-law are more right leaning they didn't want to go to portland because of various uh, skirmishes with the police and stuff and riots and whatever they, they were concerned about but i wanted to go into portland to check out some stuff so i did that and i actually stopped at like three four no uh, three different comic book stores throughout the trip um there was one day we went to vancouver uh vancouver washington and uh or uh, and uh, right on the river took some pictures and stuff like that and there was a um a comic book store there called i like comics uh and the guy had a lot of stuff and i i, I don't mean to disparage anyone but if i were to say anything about that shop i, I would say that some of the stuff was pretty overpriced uh, key issues, CGC stuff, uh, rare, rarer action figures, um, statues and stuff like that. It just felt like it was a little too much, but he did have a big discount section. And I, I got Green Lantern, some Green Lantern mosaic issues, some late uh, Green Lantern, right when it started turning into Green Lantern core stuff. A lot of stuff from the Kyle Rayner run that I needed, including like, early issues, middle of the series issues, end of the series issues, uh, Green Lantern core from the, the Johns era. Uh, I got a ton of that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure if I look at this right here, I, I completed my Green Lantern core run. Um, yeah, I have all the issues. I'm looking at my CLZ app. Uh, the only stuff I'm missing is from the new 52 Green Lantern core run. So yeah, I completely completed the Green Lantern Corps stuff, volume one from, from uh, that era. I'm still missing a bunch of mosaic stuff, but I did find it for, it's for some reason. I know it's not like the most popular series, but mosaic is, have you found this? I know you don't, how many shops do you have near you? Like, even if you just said got super bored one weekend and you know what, I'm just going to hit up a bunch of stores in my general area, even if it takes me all day and dig through the back issue bins. Like if you wanted to do that, how many do you have? I'm here? not entirely sure. I'm going to guess maybe three or four. Do you see much mosaic in back issue bins? I used to back in the day. I used to see that's where the, the few issues of mosaic that I do have, I got in the back issue bins. But I can't from. But at that comic store, my original one around here, 
Well, one actually argue it's not technically my original. If you look at the, the history, but the one I went to the longest that they never had a great selection of mosaic. It's not like if I had wanted to get the entire series, I could have I could have just bought it through the back issue bin. But they did have they did have some of the issues. I think that's where I got like the last issue of mosaic. And I'm trying and I do have a few. I do have a few others. But yeah, I just I I. I it's it's so weird because like look I, I get Dan's a fan, fan of it and stuff but generally speaking Mosaic is not a series people give a shit about but yet I can't find it anywhere in terms of any sort of it's not like even like running through a vein of of Green Lantern related stuff that's like even tossed let's say in half price books Mosaic is not something you see a lot of which I find strange um, I'm only missing like I think now like issue four and then like issues 11 through 18 except for issue 17 which for some reason i have but what's even better is in terms of uh volume three which is the kyle rayner run and then obviously the issues uh that led up into uh um why am i blanking Twilight. yes (laughs) sorry emerald twilight my god long day at work uh yeah so the 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 series that contains emerald twilight we got hal on one side and kyle on the other uh i'm actually i got a lot of that early house stuff because i'm right now i'm only missing issues 40 and 47 and 47 wasn't that your first issue with because you started you started uh 46 reign of the superman was 46 47 was the green arrow issue yeah 47 is the green is the green arrow issue i i'm pretty sure 47 was one of our friends first issues it might have been Jim because I'm pretty sure Dan's was the one with Superman and Kyle on the cover. That yeah, I mean the first the first issue I ever bought as far as reading it regularly, the first issue I ever bought was 51 regularly. I kind of okay picked, yeah. So but 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 Reign of the Supermans what pulled you in yeah. Yeah, 46 is what pulled me in. I did get 47 I think in a back a back issue been relatively close and once and I've picked up Emerald over the years I picked up different you know versions of and incarnations and prints of. The issues for Emerald Twilight. Yeah. So yeah, I, issues forty and forty-seven. Forty is uh, interesting. It's though it's the the Barry Allen one with uh, Barry Allen supposedly being killed by a dark star, uh, and then forty-seven, uh, which is the Green Arrow Flash. But uh, otherwise, I I didn't even know I was that close to completing even that portion of Volume Three. Um, so those are like fifty cent issues, something like that, or dollar comics. I think they were dollar comics. Um, and then when I went to Portland, obviously one of the places I really like to check out is Powell City of Books. And Powell City of Books is a great place. If you guys have never been, I've talked about it before on air, but like, so if, you, if you're for the first time listener, you haven't heard of Powell's or you haven't heard anything about it. The Powell City of Books is a massive bookstore in Portland. Um, like you go in and there are multiple floors and uh, I think four, four floors of it's a four story building, you know, some of it's uh, basement type stuff. And, and then it goes up obviously into the, into the building it's a part of, but uh, it's massive. I, I have made the mistake multiple times of the two times I've been in the past. I went to pals both times, but before that, we had spent so much of the day doing so. Like the first time I went, I remember we went to the modern museum, the the Museum of Modern Art, uh, which is relatively close to Powell's. And I underestimated how big that museum was. I I really, you know, I I did want to check out that that Portland museum the first time I had gone. 
so I'd spent all day for, you know, half the day walking through this, this museum. And then I get to this four story, you know, bookstore and my feet hurt, <laughs> you know, like I, I need to sit down and take a, bre- a, a breather. And uh, so basically every time I'd been to Powell's in the past, it was, I'm already tired and I can't see the whole store. So I spent two, three hours inside Powell's. Um, they don't have single issues, but they did have a trade paperback. I've been looking for team ups of the brave and the bold, which is JMS, J Michael Straczynski and Hey, says, uh, they did, you know, some run on that Brave and the Bold series. I think, was it Mark Wade who started that run of Brave and the Bold before JMS picked it up? It sounds correct, but I'm not, <laughs> I think, actually, I think it is. I, I think you are correct. Yeah. So team up to the Brave and the Bold. The reason this is a cool pickup, guys, is because one, you can't really find it that much. I, I haven't seen it in, in stores in a while. Um, it's got an older DC logo on it. It's an older DC series, not like super old. It's probably early two thousands, but this one is the one that has that, uh, that Dr. Fate green lantern team up issue in it. Um, and then one of the most popular, I think it was actually voted the most popular series or the most popular issue or favorite issue or some shit like that. The year it came out, uh, was the girls night out issue, which had Zatanna, wonder woman and Batgirl uh in that in that one issue uh it's it's a fantastic book i i got it obviously for for both uh of those issues but jms just in general did a really good job on it. i'm pretty sure there's a blackhawk story in here i didn't read the whole thing i did read some of it on my plane ride back but it's a great it's if you can find it guys for for cheap you know or for retail or less definitely get it i don't I'm not a fan of buying expensive out of print trades, uh, especially DC because DC needs to get it through their thick fucking skulls uh, that they need to keep their content in print and stop, you know, fucking things over. Um, It's kind of ridiculous to me. Some of the trade practices that DC has going, I don't know how you feel about all that, but lately for me, even just some of the branding on trades. I mean, we, we talked about this. I think we talked about this relatively recently when we were talking about, uh, the, some of the Kyle Rayner stuff uh, being collected again, like they they had the whole uh, Ron Mars, Daryl Banks, Kyle Rayner Volume One, Kyle Rayner Volume Two, and then they stopped. But they're going to redo Power of Ion and Circle of Fire. Like they they're still reprinting Kyle stuff, but they stopped for some inane reason. Like that's only one half of the thing changing up the trade dress for people who like want to have like my swamp thing stuff by Alan Moore. There's some consistency to the way those look on the shelf and things like that. That's all sort of anal retentive or whatever, but I'm just so, I'm sorry. It just, it just brings up some of the stuff. Some of your most popular comics of the early two thousands, actually one of your most popular, popular issues of the early two thousands based on just the public voting for it was in this trade. Why wouldn't you have this ready to go? Why wouldn't you keep this in print? I don't understand, but maybe I'm just being anal. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not, but I I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I think I actually, I think I heard somebody talking about this on another podcast uh, related to, no, no, no. It was, it was a a live stream that my local comic shop, uh, Bat City Comic Professionals off of Cesar Chavez in Austin, they were talking about like, how it's absolutely ridiculous that so much of what's happening in the X-Men titles is based on house and powers of X um, when, when those started, but you can't find those trades anywhere. 
when people get them in, if if there's a shipment uh, that is get gotten by a team, including Bat City, they were saying like that stuff is gone immediately, or you can't get it at all. Those trades, House and Powers of X, are going for like forty plus dollars or more, um, in the uh, over over value of of what they're actually priced at, and it's like it's the cornerstone of understanding the X universe right now. But Marvel's not keeping that stuff in print. What? Why would you continue publishing newer and newer series and more and more X-related series? That if you read House of X and Powers of X, maybe you sort of understand the the X universe you find yourself in nowadays. But why wouldn't you keep House of X and Powers of X in print, especially if current material is building off of it? It would just be a perpetual good seller. Why wouldn't you keep it in print? So Marvel and DC are making shit decisions when it comes to trades and it's driving me up a wall. Um, but whatever. Uh, then I went to uh, Cosmic Monkey. Uh, Cosmic Monkey Comics. I, I did go to a vinyl record store uh, uh, that's also like three or four stories. It was really cool. And I, I came away with a Backstreet Boys uh, vinyl because, you know, what, I, what can I say, guys? I like 90s music uh, and early 2000s. Uh, but anyways, uh, Cosmic Monkey Comics, unfortunately, their back issue bins are never really discounted. Any, at least any of the times I've been, maybe they have sales once a year or something like that to get inventory out. But they they price their back issues, whether it's you know based on value or over retail, under retail, whatever, um, uh, or cover price rather. So I I tried to limit myself. I still I still uh, walked out with like. 20 something comics, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, with that though, I almost completed my Guy Gardner run. All I have left are issues 43 and 44. Um, for some reason, I've had it, I've found it hard to find the uh, 1995 uh, annual, the year one Guy Gardner annual. Um, that one I haven't, l- later issues of, actually, later issues of stuff around this year, for some reason, later in the series. It's hard to find. Guy Gardner Warrior has l- the late, late issues have been hard to find in back issue bins. Uh, so is Static. Um, and I know I'm pretty sure Static had a cro- uh, an annual or two around the 1995 uh, mark in terms of the series was starting to wrap up around the exact same time as, as Guy Gardner Warrior. Because I can't find probably solidly the first 30 issues of the stat- original Static run, but I can't find the late shit anywhere. I don't know why Guy Gardner is also something that is so hard to find. But yeah, I only have yeah. issues 43. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine. I, Left. There's no real reason I for I can't think. I can certainly can't think of any reason why Guy would be that hard to find. But it is odd. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's just it drives me nuts because all you hear about the 80s or sorry, about the 90s era of comics is. You know, they printed out so much stuff because of speculator market. And then, you know, none of that stuff is really worth anything because there's so much of it on the market. But then why the hell can't I find random shit like Guy Gardner Warrior or Green Lantern Mosaic or or late, late, late issues of static in the back issue bins if there's supposed to be a billion of these things out there? (laughs) Are all those speculators who were wrong and proven wrong two plus decades ago still holding on to those issues? (laughs) Yeah, I I I don't think there's any logic to it. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, then uh, we went uh, up north uh, to uh, to Whidbey Island, uh, which is actually north of Seattle. And north of Seattle, in between Seattle and Whidbey Island, is a town called Everett, Washington. 
And Everett, Washington, guys, is where the Funko headquarters are located, um, which I had planned to go to that, uh, last year when I was going to go to Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle before the pandemic shut everything down and canceled all those wonderful plans. So I uh, grabbed the truck, which is great because everybody else wanted to go fishing. That was the whole point of the Whidbey Island trip is everybody's going to go fishing. I get seasick. So I was like, all right, well, um, let me grab the truck. I'll do all this stuff. I'll come back and we'll hang out all around the fire, have dinner together, and it'll be great. And I don't have to be seasick all damn day. And you guys get to do what you want. I get to do what I want. Wonderful, wonderful. So I did. Uh, the I have a video of walking through the Funko headquarters. I'm pretty sure YouTube has uh, copyright strike stuff. So I can put up the video of my walkthrough of uh, Funko headquarters on our YouTube channel if you guys want, but I'm going to mute it because they, they play copyrighted material over the speakers. So uh, we could get a copyright strike strike on YouTube for that. So I will post it without audio so you guys can get the walkthrough. I did film it in 4k on my phone. Um, if you guys want, let us know on social media. The only reason I hesitate to do it is because, guys, it's it's a public public place. There are probably a billion videos on YouTube that look all exactly the same of people walking through the Funko HQ. Um, all I'll say about the Funko HQ in terms of DC, it's super Batman heavy. Uh, and it's uh, maybe a little bit of League, but it's obviously much more. There's a whole Marvel like corner um, and, and the stuff in the Marvel corner including product is all Marvel. Whereas if you go to the DC section, the decor in terms of statues and stuff you can pay, uh, take your photo with and stuff like that, that, that surround the walls is DC, but the content, like the, the pops in there, the bags, the other merchandise that's on display in there, they mix in some TV show stuff and some, uh, you know, popular other series, uh, some anime stuff, overflow, like all of that stuff. they, they, the, the the table that they have their daily or weekly exclusives on top of sits in front of one of the displays in the DC section. Like the DC section in terms of decor is Batman heavy, but yet cool looking, but it's not dedicated to DC, which is just to me sort of indicative of how much, you know, either DC invests in Funko or Funko cares to sell DC stuff. I don't know um, what the, what the relationship is, why uh, is in terms of license wise, but if you go to the Marvel section, the Marvel statue and decor are, are out of this world and crazy looking and, and all the merchandise is on point and in the same se- section. I don't know. It's just interesting. But right next to that, uh, on the same street is a comic book store called Everett Comics. Um, and Everett Comics, they didn't have a lot in their back issue bins. They're also one that had uh, priced comics. I got an issue of Green Lantern Corps after Green Lantern turned into uh, Green Lantern Corps from the Millennium event. I'm pretty sure it was like week seven or something like that. And then I got um, an issue uh, of Green Lantern uh, 156, which is, uh, if you've ever seen the cover, it's him facing down some pink tentacle aliens and it's called Judas World um, with a special one-shot story by premier GL artist Gil Kane. So that was cool, but probably the best stop of that trip. Oh, by the way, guys, when I was at the Funko HQ, I did make a pop of myself, uh, which I'll, we can post a photo on social media when we post the episode about, um, but there was a store. I, I was like this, this little, this little town in uh, uh, North of Everett, but like just a small little space, just right before you get to Whidbey Island, Oak Harbor, Washington had a, 
combination store. It's like a bookstore, game store, comic book store, like to game store to the point where they have like Warhammer figures and stuff like that. Um, and it's, but it was called the book rack or book rack. And the freaking pricing here was the greatest because it was a back issue sale. And it was, uh, if you got one or uh, between one and four comics, they were a dollar each. If you got five to nine, they were 75 cents, 10 to 14, they were 50 cents. And if you got 15 or more comics from the back issue bins, they were 25 cents each. So I went absolute ham um, and I bought a ton of new guard because when all when when Red Lantern's New Guardians, Green Lantern Core and Green Lantern were all coming out during the new 52, I was having job issues. I just could not afford to get all of that stuff uh, in print consistently every time uh, every month. So I got a ton of uh, New Guardians and then a ton of um, Green Lantern core and then a ton of Green Lantern. But the Green Lantern I got stuff I got was also also the Venditti run because I wasn't getting this the the regular issues during the Venditti run either. So that was that was uh, all kinds of fun and interesting. As a matter of fact. Uh, looking at this on my wish list, I don't have of green any of Green Lantern Volume Six left on my wish list. So I completed my Venditti run of of uh, Green Lantern comics at this point, which is crazy to me because I did not buy a single issue of that series in print as it was coming out. I had I got it digitally uh, because it saved me some money. So yeah, I completed several runs or got very close kind of irking me that I only have 43 and 44 left of Guy Gardner, but like I got so I got to, I still haven't sorted them into the long boxes. That's how, that's how many comics I got. I had to, uh, if I put them in my suitcase, my suitcase would have been overweight. I had to literally figure out, I put my laptop instead, which was going to be some of my entertainment on the flights, on the flights back. I had to put my laptop and some other stuff in, in the suitcase and then just, put put all of these comics in my backpack and just carry them uh which was definitely a weight on my shoulders <laughs> but i got a shit ton of comics well, then that was a very productive trip for you then yeah i just uh i'm finding it more it, it just, it's just so satisfying i don't know if it's ocd or what which i i hesitate to say because i don't want to get in a situation where i'm just like I'm, I'm minimizing like true ocd but like there's something in your brain that flips when you complete a run and I think that's just gen- maybe just general satisfaction, but like, I just feel almost just like, like I got high or something levels of giddy when I complete a collection. And it's like, ah, oh, like, oh man, I got those last couple of issues. I, or, or I find like a vein of comics that like at this, at this one place where it was just 25 cents each, if you got more than 15 and you just freaking end up grabbing like 40 comics uh, out of the whole thing. Uh, that was, it was, uh, it was so satisfying. Um, I can't believe I got away enough to do this much shopping because, uh, you know, family trip, family comes first. But, man, uh, everybody was was totally cool with like a chill trip and wanting to stay at the house, which my mom is like on 18 acres on the top of a mountain off of a very private road that only the people who live up there or the or loggers have access to. So, like, she's in the like you take 10 steps outside of the house and you're just in the woods uh in the pacific northwest and it's mossy and 
green and beautiful and the talls of tre- trees are tall as fuck and all that stuff. So I com- I was completely okay with staying home, but I was just like, every- because everybody was staying home, they're just like, if you really want to go somewhere, we- seriously, we're not, we're not going to be upset that you're not spending time with us. Just grab the keys and we'll see you later. We'll just let us know when the- we'll meet all-, all up for dinner. And, you know, that was, it was a lot of fun, man. I, uh, I never had a trip like that. Cause I always feel sort of obligated and tied to, the family space whenever I'm visiting somebody, but it was a, it was a good mix of, of uh, comic shopping and, and my own satisfaction. There's actually a, outside of Everett, there's a place called, there's a hiking trail around a pond that's called green lantern trail. <laughs> and uh, I may not believe in a specific God, but I believe in the concept of some sort of maybe cosmic deity, might be looking out for me and and sometimes i see like funny little things like i decided to go to everett and only once i was in everett did i find out wait (laughs) my plans were tentative to come here in the first place but now i'm here and look the green lantern podcaster has found a place called green lantern trail (laughs) and it's all of 10 minutes from the funko headquarters i guess i'm gonna check that out too (laughs) and chad got mauled by a bear (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man no it was it was a cool little trip and uh, uh that whole place is beautiful. especially if you go out like further if you push further further and further further uh north and get closer and closer to the coast just like that coastline where um you know there's so much forest and trees and it almost always just runs right up to the freaking uh to the freaking coastline uh may not be news for some people across the country but for somebody from texas where the the land just gets flatter and flatter the closest the closer you get to the coast and you know it's just flat land for miles and miles and then the closer and closer you get to those coastal towns it's a lot, a lot of uh, of sort of shorter trees and lots of grass little pockets of water inland but mostly just flat and sand and grass for miles and miles uh of stretches of beaches in texas uh, it's sort of cool to see sort of a completely different environmental situation uh, along the coast. And uh, man, it made me wish I, I don't get sick uh, on, on boats because it, some of those like little bays and inlets and stuff where they were fishing, they were telling me that, you know, sometimes dolphins and orca and other stuff come in there and hell, even if you didn't see any of that, it just looked flat out. beautiful. I've, I've never been the, like a fishing type of person. I've never been one to like want to go out in the sea or, I'm not even a beach kind of guy, but like, you know, that area up there, the waters up there and the sort of atmosphere and all that around there made me like for the first time in my life, really understand the idea of, man, I really want to get on, get out on the water today. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can understand that. And speaking of Funko, do we want to talk about something we got or should we wait? Let's wait. Let's wait on that one. Um, okay. All right. Before we, before we switch into closing gear i figured let's get let's get a couple of things that have been hanging hanging out there on uh out of the way let's 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 deal with the uh with the spiral thing <laughs> oh yeah spiral now how much that should should i even bother with any of these twitter handle or is it even necessary you think no it's, somebody made a comment okay so that that's where we're gonna go uh, this 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 should be relatively brief uh 
that someone, which is a, which is nice to know someone actually listened to my spiral episode. That's good. So it was, a, so basically it was, Hey, Mark, I got to say that your spoiler free review of spiral was loaded with spoilers, smiley face, in my opinion. Glad I watched it before listening. And why would you spoil a Saw movie? And he's talking about going into it, knowing what's, what's going to happen. Why would you spoil a Saw movie before going to watch it? Part of the enjoyment of Saw is the twists. I like to go in blind. All right. So let's deal with the second part first. Generally speaking, usually when you and I do reviews, they're always spoiler reviews anyway. And people who have listened to our spoiler reviews know that nine times out of ten, I even if I don't actively seek out spoilers, I usually know spoilers for movies, at least some of them, some of the spoilers before I go in. I don't mind that. It's kind of like a, it's the same reason why people, I think, like reaction videos when people watch stuff on YouTube and you get to see how people react to it to the first for the first time. That's how I am. So I don't I like seeing other like going knowing stuff that people don't and having people react to it in the theater and seeing how it plays out. But in this case, which I alluded to in in the very general sense when when I did that episode, is that the only reason I didn't I did not actively seek spiral spoilers in in the the week it was coming out. So the Thursday night and Friday was being released. I Wanted to see it the Thursday night it was released. The problem was my theater had just opened up the week before. And even though they had showings in for the following Friday, like the first Friday sport, uh, spiral was playing, they never put in any Thursday night showings when they, when they opened up. So I didn't know if they were going to do that, if that was going to be a short term casualty of, you know, post COVID relaunch. So I, we already had our tickets for Godzilla versus Kong. And then they added in the spiral showings late. So then. I didn't want to can't, I didn't want to swap out tickets. So we decided we'll go see Spiral the second Thursday basically was out. That gave me an extra week and that made it harder not to go listen to to spoilers. So if we if I had gotten to see it the Thursday it came out, I actually would have gone in to that one spoiler free because I do agree that some of the twists are important in Spiral. And, so, and then you saw a movie now dealing with the first part. Well, while it is true, I think on the actual write up for the episode on our page, I said this is a spoiler free review, which I do think, in my opinion, it still passes that test. When I posted in Facebook and, and Twitter and when I, in the actual beginning of the episode, I say mostly spoiler free. And I define what I meant by that, which was anything that was blatantly obvious that was going on in the movie based on the trailers. I thought that was fair game to discuss in the review. Just like I said, anything that happened in previous Saw movies, I was not going to tip tiptoe around, regardless of whether it was related to Spiral or not. If I'm referencing something that happened in Saw 6 to make a point, I'm not going to be not pulling punches because I'm talking about a movie that's been out for like, you know, like close to 10 years. I can I think and I, I, I'm interested in feedback. So if other people agree that they thought it was more spoilery, not that it's going to be an issue because, again, overall, generally our reviews are always spoilers. I just tried something different because I knew a lot of people were going to get to see that immediately in the theater because of the COVID conditions. I think it still met that definition of being spoiler, of being either mostly spoiler free, if not absolutely spoiler free, because I didn't discuss who the jigsaw copycat was. I didn't discuss the relate the relationship of that character and Chris Rock's character. There are a lot of, so I I didn't really go into a whole lot of detail of stuff that so I thought I think for the most part if you're not revealing who the who the killer is and the relationship of the killer and different and their in their personal relationships if there are any with different people that you see in the movie that end up in traps I don't really think it's that but the one thing I would say 
if there's anything that was probably I would consider when I went back and I when I thought about this, so it might have been falling into a spoiler category was when I went through the checklist of what makes a Saw movie a Saw movie, in my opinion, of the different things that people like about Saw movies that appeal to people. And I did make specifically say there was one thing in that movie that was not in mo- that it was absent from Spiral. If you were looking for it, you weren't going to get it. So I guess that would probably have been something that was technically a spoiler by omission, not by telling you something that was in the movie, telling you something that was in it. So, so that's all I have to say about that. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I, mean, I didn't see Spiral. I, you know, we've, we've talked about this. I'm not really a fan of, of the Saw franchise or just horror or even gore sort of stuff in general. But I think, is it, I mean, from, from, from all of that then, cause I, I didn't listen to your episode cause I'm not sure if I'm going to see it or not. Uh, and I usually listen to coverage spoiler or not of, of content that I'm interested in after I take it in. Um, is it, is it fair to say it's more, you know, the way that the trailer kind of made it out to be where it's more mystery sort of detective thriller than actual gore horror, like some of the saw other saw movies that were, I mean, there's, there's plenty of, there's, there's gore in it. I, I, I certainly saw reviews of the movie in which make it seem like it's like ridiculously gory compared to other saw movies. And honestly, I didn't, I didn't take it that way. Some of the traps are clearly uncomfortable as far as you watching them and just and, and the idea of being in them is freakier than certain certainly some other traps that we've seen in other Saw movies that because not everyone is not everyone is like a quote unquote. I hate the term because I don't think it's 100 percent true for Saw while it is like for Hostel, the torture porn thing that not every single trap we've ever seen in, a, in, a, in Saw was, you know, was like a torture porn trap, like the one that I think you you saw 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 three when the when the when the judge is in the bottom of that at the pig slaughter place, right? Yeah, and yeah. the pigs are being slaughtered. That's not that's not a torture porn trap. It's disgusting, and he would die from it if 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 uh what's his face? I'm drawing a blank on uh the Angus McFadden character that if he hadn't saved him that he would have died. But that wasn't a torture porn trap. I there are. This movie might be a little more heavy on that kind of, of trap. But yes, I think it is in the vein of it's actually arguably in the more than any of the uh, other Saw movies as far as trying to fit because you don't know who you don't know who's doing it because, you know, John Kramer's not doing it. So probably other than maybe Saw 4 in which the post, you know, the first post uh, John Kramer movie where Going into the movie, you knew John Kramer was dead. So if there was somebody else doing killings, it wasn't John Kramer. You just had to be, you just had to be told eventually and shown who it was. This so this movie is probably more more like that. Uh, but yeah, I I mean I thought overall it was pretty good. I'm just I just I just didn't feel the need to go into great spoiler details about oh yeah this is this is who the killer was. This is exactly why the killer targeted exactly who the killer targeted in his relationship with this character and that, because I know a lot of people didn't have the opportunity to see that, to see that, see that this, because it wasn't like an HBO Max movie. It wasn't a WB movie where people had the option of watching it at home. You didn't really have that option at the time. Now you can, because now it's on demand. But the reality, but it was a movie that people, if they didn't feel comfortable, they didn't have the opportunity to go to the theater. They couldn't see. So that's why, that's why I I tried not to be. You know, I've tried to avoid major spoilers. And I think, again, if you're not talking about the killer and revealing, you know, revealing the killer or the end of the movie and things like that, I don't necessarily I think it basically met the spoiler free criteria. But but that was me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you I I think I think it's really cool that he even took the time to to send a 
Yes, I, uh, I appreciate some, that. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of this, uh, it, you, you know, he's a listener because, you know, nobody listens to the Lantern cast to hear one of the one off episodes that we do like that every now and then. So, you know, you know, that's a regular listener. So thank you for writing in. Yes, absolutely. And it's good to know. At least there was some interest in in that episode. At least as far as the reaches go, not that I don't necessarily know if that means much. That was one of our higher reached episodes, I think, lately. If you go back and look on Facebook anyway, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. That that and Far Sector 11, which I still don't quite understand why Far Sector 11 more than any other. Uh, that one got a lot of reaches. I don't, I don't quite know why. Maybe because we did maybe because we did other stuff, too. Maybe it wasn't yeah. just the Far Sector. We actually did a lot in that episode. So. So that brings me to a point, which I, I don't want to, you know, I, I we're keeping track of time on our episodes nowadays, guys. So I don't want to go too far into it. But suffice it to say, I can check the reach of shows like Creative Credit in its own feed, as well as Action Comics Weekly, because I created those shows, you know, in terms of the span of the 12 years this this show has been on relatively recently. So I have a login on the back end to check the performance on iTunes slash Apple podcasts of those podcasts. But Lanterncast was set up 12 years ago and we don't have the login information for how to, to access the stats for our, for this show anymore, which I think sucks, we, which sucks actually, <laughs> which, which really, which really freaking sucks. Yes. But it's also very hard to prove, you know, to a big company like Apple that, you know, you are who you say you are. Plus just reaching Apple in general to get someone to try and resolve this for you is, is enough of a headache. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super difficult for, for us. This is why we, we, we push so hard social media because it's the only way, you know, normal podcasts would have access to those stats to be able to easily tell if, even if they got zero feedback for weeks on end that, Oh, did a thousand people listen to last week's episode? Like they can at least see those. We don't see that data. We can't. I, we have no access to it. And Jim and Dan don't. You know, it's been a long time, and they <laughs> Jim's had kids at this point. Like he's got other shit to worry about. We don't have that data to just simply log in and see it anymore. So, thank you. When when you write back, we sincerely mean it. Not just for interaction, but it it's really for the Lantern Cast at least one of the only ways we know you're actually out there. Because we can't see your passive interaction with just listening to the show. All we see is when you actually interact with us. Yes, that is true. That's why that's why feedback and we do have more feedback. We will probably actually probably do next episode. Huh. But we know there's we know there's email that there's a few emails out there that have been uh, sitting out there for a couple of weeks. And we just some of our some of our episodes just ran a little longer than plan, with, the, with the planned content. And so we're trying to keep not just from an just not from an internal perspective from us doing stuff with the episode. But I think it's just generally easier to listen to an episode that's not an hour and a half or two hours. <laughs> it's easy in one. It's easy to kill something in one sitting if it's like about an hour. I think an hour is easily digestible. Yeah. Yeah, of course. All right. Um, do we have anything else? I I'm. I've debated about that about the Kong and Godzilla thing, but maybe we'll hold that to next. We'll hold that to next week. Um, Which about the book? About oh, the book. And and it's, it's actually was a, there was an interview Adam Wingard did too that kind of corresponds with that. Oh, I was gonna say if it was just a book. There's yeah, you just say it. But if there's an interview company in there, no, right? I mean it's it's yeah. Let me do it because I, I yeah yeah let's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's it. This should be like ten minutes. I'll try not to. I'll tr- max. I'll try not to rant about anything on this, even though this it. Re- going through this book and reading some of the things and along with the with the interview, it just kind of kind of reinforces my belief that 
despite how Kong heavy that movie was, Kong kind of kind of got shafted. So the book in the book that I'm talking about is Godzilla versus Kong. One will fall the art of the ultimate battle royale, uh, which is a hardcover book. It's it's so it's like a coffee table book. It's currently for like forty dollars and fifty cents on Amazon. I think I might have gotten it for less than that. Plus, I had Amazon credit to use uh, promotional credit. So that's probably the main reason I got it. Uh, the general view review of the book is that I don't think it's worth like forty bucks based on what you get in the book from an art perspective. And this bar, and just like you would suspect, this is there are tons of ways to make making of books. Some split the difference between you know text and and back and backstory and making of stories and things that could have been in the movie and were cut and like screenplay stuff and, and sketches and things of characters that never made it in. And some's all, and so some split the difference between, you know, storyboards and prose. Some are really are completely art heavy. Some are really just prose heavy with only just a few, some pictures and things. This is definitely very art heavy, but while it's a, it's beautiful to look at, I don't think there's really anything in this book that's, we really haven't seen before is that over that is super impressive. Maybe the fold out stuff they have towards the back with Mecha Godzilla and the possible different designs of Mecha Godzilla. But the thing that caught my eye and ironically, what interested me in this book was some of the, from some of the text that actually was in this book. And we mentioned this before during the review that Adam Wingard made an analogy between Kong and an old gunfighter. And he actually broke it down more specifically using Clint Eastwood both times that basically in Skull Island Kong is pretty much Clint Eastwood in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And in this movie, Kong is pretty much like Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. He's at the end. He doesn't care. He wants to be left alone. He just, but like he, like we alluded to in that, where we talked about in that episode, if trouble comes to his doorstep, you know, Kong's not going to, he's not going to walk away just like Clint Eastwood's character wouldn't walk away in Unforgiven. The other interesting thing, he makes a Rocky analogy with King Kong. That he says Kong is like Rocky in the sense that he's, you know, no matter what, he's just not going to give up. He's going to keep coming. And there's also talk about he mentions in the writer's room that it was not everybody was not of of the same opinion about who should win, including that there were some kind of heated discussions, which clearly implies some people thought and made the case why Kong should win. And Wingard also makes the point of saying, well, on some level, you know, it it kind of was a foregone conclusion that Godzilla would win. And that's what really bothered, and that kind of bothered me, not because there's no logic to it, but because, and you have to give Zack Snyder credit for this. That would have been like Zack Snyder doing the same thing, going in BVS, going, well, it's a foregone conclusion that Superman's going to win. So let's narrow our scope of the story we can tell, because we know Superman's got to win. And obviously, as we saw that movie, he didn't win. And why didn't he win? Because the the smarter, more strategic fighter was able to figure out a way to take to weaken the physically superior fighter and and just even the odds level the playing field so in this fight Khan clearly would have been the smarter the more strategic uh fighter and once you realize that Kong was going to be the focal point of the story it still makes no sense especially since i think they sold the rights to Kong and they have to re-up the rights for toho for godzilla and those characters i think if they want to make more movies they have to make a new deal it still boggles the mind in a way that they went the, the went the way they did because they didn't have to give us a decisive victor We've seen tons of superhero versus super uh, hero versus hero movies or villain versus villain movies where there is not necessarily even a clear cut decisive winner. They could have they could have done things differently at that end of that movie where maybe basically during their third round of fighting is when Mechagodzilla shows up. But that's just I just think from a storytelling perspective, they narrowed it was it would have been better going in objective. 
But since Kong is the underdog, it would kind of would have been cool for somebody to actually try to figure out a way to at least level the playing field and make it even a draw because or or close to a draw, not a decisive loss. But that, well, those are basically those, those are my thoughts. As as for the for the book, if if you get a chance to flip through it, if you happen to have one that's open, like in Barnes and Noble, which is hard because a lot of these books are sealed are still shrink wrapped, so you can't. But I would, I it's I don't think you know if it, if it gets marked down, if it's like half price, and you're really into you know Godzilla or Kong, and there are, I mean, it's a nice looking book. It really is a nice looking book, but I just don't think there's a lot of meat in there that ju- that would justify spending like fifty dollars on this on this book. But that's all. Yeah. Ah, uh, I don't know. Still think uh, Godzilla needs to clearly come out on top at all times. Well, because, I mean, it makes sense. I mean. I'm not saying that there wasn't logic to it, but when when you come and say, "Oh, it was kind of a foregone conclusion," then at least they could have they could have framed the battles better. Like, why have them fucking battle on the water at all when that clearly is a major disadvantage to Kong? And even the round that Kong won was not a decisive. I mean, if Kong had maybe had won the second round as decisively as Godzilla had won the first, then maybe the third round would have been okay. But I think it's like even when Kong quote unquote won the second round, it wasn't that decisive or impressive a victory. He kind of was getting his ass kicked even a lot of that time. I think they could have, it was a, it was a choice. I'm not saying it was a bad choice necessarily, but they clearly made the choice they, they wanted. And I was thinking about this today. It's kind of funny that if they, let's say they lose the right to all these Godzilla characters and they can't make any more movies that it's kind of, you kind of diminished King Kong a little bit, even, even though you can still do movies about him. You, I know he got the victory at the end of with Mecha Godzilla. I understand that, but, uh, Still, the reality is it, it reminded me of what happened with, with wrestling with the with the legendary Montreal screw job when Vince McMahon made sure he cheated Bret Hart out of the championship because he knew Bret Hart was about to go to WCW. And he wasn't gonna, and even though, and he was not going to take the chance of Bret Hart, even though he said he would drop the belt on Monday Night Raw before he left. He wanted him to drop it at the pay-per-view. Bret Hart didn't want to drop it to Shawn Michaels. So they so Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon screwed Bret Hart. And it was a literally an unscripted ending because that's not how it was designed to go. That it's like because you don't want to let your champion walk off. And if Godzilla walks off, then he clearly is. Even if you do more more movies with Kong, you have to kind of do something to balance the equation. Now you would have to build Kong up again a little bit. But I understand why Godzilla would win. I mean, there's a logic to it. But I think I I don't like the fact that the oh it was a foregone conclusion. Well, that's the way you scripted the story. You could have told the story in a different fashion. And there could have been ways you could have balanced the equation a little bit more than you did. Like we talked about with the healing factor. That was a real easy way to have Kong have a better shot in the fight is to say his special power as, as a Titan is that he has an advanced healing factor, which you could have said, even though he was younger, that's why he recovered from the napalm so quick in Skull Island. He's not like Wolverine. I mean, he's not quite like Wolverine, where as long as there's flesh on him, he's going to it's going to grow back. But it's the fact that he's really hard to kill because of the fact that he heals quick. But they didn't go that route. That was an option. They didn't do that. So they just made it. But it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, before we uh, wrap up, just a couple things real quick. Today, Infinite Frontier number one has hit. So for Green Lantern related content, go get that. Also, uh, people who pre-ordered this online are starting to get this. And I'm pretty sure it also released today. Hard to tell because... Uh, trades aren't really a part of the software that I use to keep track of what issues I'm getting each week. Um, uh, trades aren't really showing up on those release lists, but I'm pretty sure Green Lantern, John Stewart, a celebration of 50 years, that hardcover has started hitting people's homes uh, as well as 
comic shops. So if that is something you're interested in, that is out there for you as well. So in terms of, uh, you know, go get green, your, your most recent green lantern related stuff that's currently out this week. Those are your two things that uh, you guys should go grab. Uh, I think you are correct. That does come out this week. Yeah. All right. Uh, someone wants to reach out to us. How do they do so? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast to track us down on those. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're on all three, so please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern is the voicemail. Text us or email us and let us know what you think. Uh, All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week when we will talk about, looks like the schedule says DC Pride. Yes, we'll do that one next. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Good night, everybody.